Elon Musk, I see you with your bunker and you think that you got a cool bunker, but wait till you see mine because mine is making water and I got a garage. And I sit down in the bed. I feel this like gush of something come out of me. And I go to stand up and I can see like all this blood in the bed. I get a message. We're really worried. The front door window is broken and we're scared that somebody like a robber or like burglary is happening and there might be somebody in the house. So my great-grandmother kind of half-raised me. She slept with a gun under her pillow. I slept in the bed with her as a little kid. They were determined that I needed to know how to shoot the gun. Hi, I'm Heather. And I'm Shannon. And we are two women here sharing inspiring stories about fearless females to help encourage you to live your life unapologetically. Welcome to the Unapologetically Me podcast. Y'all, on today's episode, we are going to be talking about how Shannon's cabin got broken into, which is every short-term rental host's nightmare. We're going to be giving you all the details. She's actually sold her house, packed all her belongings, put her kids in a camper, and moved all the way across the country, which we're also going to be talking a little bit about that. Um, also, have you heard this trend about rich people putting bunkers and buying bunkers and preparing for some crazy something that's about to happen? Um, we're covering everything in today's episode, y'all. So as we dive in, let us know in the comments what we haven't talked about that you want to hear about on our next episode. Make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss as we come out each Monday. Shannon, how's moving going? Oh my goodness. So we actually are in contract on a new house in Tennessee. Yay! That's so exciting. I know. I can't believe it happened so fast. Uh, And, you know, obviously we don't have keys yet. We haven't closed, but I'm pretty sure we'll get it. And it's kind of crazy because I feel like with the past couple of houses that I've had, they've been like very fancy and nice, like big, nice houses. And so I feel like when I buy a new house, people are expecting like it's going to be even better than the next one but i just want to let everybody know that this is a very humble (laughs) house and it is nowhere near as nice as my last house is and i've actually decided purposely to buy a house that was like well below my means because i feel like i've been working so hard to like be able to just live this lifestyle that i feel like i'm used to but I'm never spending enough time with my kids. And I know I've talked about this in the retreats where I'm like, I want to be able to spend more time with my kids. And I think at the end of the day, they're going to care more about spending time with their mom than they are like remembering that they grew up in a fancy house. So the next house, I'm excited to like show everybody on my YouTube channel because they're going to be like, what? You moved all the way across country to buy that? Like, <laughs> okay, but like, I'm really excited to talk about this with you because I feel like everybody, every time they sell their house and they buy something, they buy something bigger, they buy something better, they buy something in like, right, culture's version of better. Um, in this like better area, we want a nicer neighborhood, we want a better school. So when you sell a house like you did, there was thousands and thousands of square feet in LA with all these amenities, like a tennis court and all kinds of crazy stuff. I'm sure anybody who follows Shannon's seen it on her um, Instagram and YouTube. What were you looking for in this new house besides like, okay, I'm going to downsize. What were some of the priorities that you still wanted to keep in this property? So the biggest thing was privacy. 
I really wanted to be somewhere that was private and that you couldn't see your neighbors. And I, you know, I joke all the time saying like, just put me in a forest in the middle of nowhere because I don't like people. I say that it's like a joke. I don't really like not like people, but I just am kind of a homebody. Like I rather just stay home and like bake bread and garden and sew, you know, like that's kind of my jam and thrift stores. Um, so privacy was a big thing and I wanted to be in the middle of a forest. So what about the house itself though? Because we've been having the same conversations in my household. Um, I have a house in both Tennessee and Florida and we are primarily in Florida right now um, in a super nice house in like the greatest neighborhood, walking distance to the beach, which I really appreciated because growing up in Mississippi and Tennessee, you couldn't walk anywhere. Like you were getting in the car and driving quite a ways to go anywhere. And I really appreciated and en enjoyed being able to like, walk to our like downtownish area and like go to dinner and um walk to get like my smoothie bowl and things like that i've really enjoyed that over the last four or five years but i am excited this year to um sell this house and move somewhere else in florida um that's a little bit different lifestyle as my kids are getting older i want them to have that yard to play in kind of like you're talking about but I made a list of what I still wanted because I'm going to pay cash for this house. Um, I don't want the more I'm, I'm going to be 40 this year. I don't want a mortgage anymore. Um, and so I, but I made a list of like, I still want the fabulous kitchen I have right now because a lot of people buy these amazing houses with all these amenities and they don't use them. Like a, a ton of Americans don't cook anymore. Um, yep. Maybe they like warm stuff up or they like, make some pre-made meals or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, or they, it's only a husband and wife and they've got these big giant show kitchens yep. and they don't actually use them. Well, as a mom of almost five with the homeschooled kids who are home all the time and my husband and I both truly enjoy cooking, we use our kitchen multiple times a day. So on my list, even though we're, I'm going to buy a different type of house. I'm like, I want an equally amazing kitchen as I have right now. So what were you thinking when you're like, but the house needs to have like, I don't know, three bedrooms or it needs to have, what were some of those things you wanted to keep? Yeah. So one of the big things was the land and the yard, like you're talking about. I wanted to be able to have my babies run outside, play, um, you know, in nature and have a lot of land. And so that was something that our last house had. We had, you know, a huge backyard and we could let the kids go play and we could see them from out the window. Um, so that was one thing. And uh, we, you know, are on multiple acres on this new property. So that's really nice. If we wanted to like, you know, build another house or two, we could. Um, but also I had a massive, amazing garden um, in my last house. And so this house, there's plenty of room for gardening, you know. Well, do I you think that where, if again, for people who follow Shane on social media, you bought this Airbnb and mm -hmm. it had a ton of acres. You remodeled it. Y'all had chickens and you were planting some, the garden stuff. Do you think that short period where y'all lived there to remodel that Airbnb property has influenced your decision on buying a house now? Oh yeah, totally. Because I just love that, you know, and I really love the privacy that that cabin had, you know, on all those acres. Mm -hmm. And so that was something I really wanted. So that was an important thing. Um, but also those houses are massive. They are so huge. I didn't know where my kids were half the time. You know, I could barely hear them in some of those rooms. And then also like people would come in and they would get lost. They like it. So that was another thing that I'm like, I want the house to be simple, um, you know, so that 
I can hear my kids at all times when they are in the house. Um, and then another thing that was really important was, you know, filming in a studio. We talk about this all the time. You're in your studio right now. So I'm sure in your next house that you buy, you're going to have a studio, like a specific designated area for your filming, for your studio. So this house had a totally separate, um, like studio workshop that I can, um, you know, dedicate that's not part of the house. Cause I know, like, you know, this, we can hear our kids. The kids know that we're here. They know what we're doing. I have in. Chinese lessons right now. I can literally hear them practicing Chinese. Yeah, exactly. So for me, it was important to have something that was not attached to the house, but on the property so that I can like take a golf cart or just walk over to my office slash studio. Um, and so that was another thing that was important to me. Um, so, you know, just like little things like that. Um, but also way cheaper than, you know, what I was spending, um, so that I'm able to like save way more money to invest into other properties that are not a liability. I'm so excited for you. But as we mentioned the Airbnb cabin, I saw one of your stories on Instagram and I cannot wait to hear what happened. It got broke into what? Oh my gosh. You are not going to believe this. So our cabin has been booked like back to back. So I've never had to like worry about there not being people there, but the and one- And it's not like in the middle of a city. It's kind of in the middle of no, nowhere, right? It's in the middle of nowhere. It's very private and secluded. And so, you know, when there's no one there, there's no one there. And we have like great security. There's a cameras all over. Um, but the one day that there was not guests there, um, well, let me tell you how it happened. So we had guests getting ready to check in and I get a message from the guests and they're like, Hey, we're really worried. The front door window is broken and we're scared that somebody like a robber or like burglary is happening and there might be somebody in the house. And I was like, what? You know, of course, like my stomach drops and I'm like, for one, that's like literally, like you said, a host's worst nightmare. And I'm thinking like all of these horrible things, like, oh my God, I hope there's not somebody there. And like, you know, the, the worst case scenario is like my guests are going to get shot <laughs> by like oh something that they're like walking into, you know? And so I immediately go check the cameras and I, I see on the camera at like 530 in the morning, two or three days before I didn't even know this for like three days. Like that's how bad it was. Um, that this guy in a hood and a mask is walking around and you see him on the cameras. And then all of a sudden you see him on the camera, go cut the camera cord and then proceeded to go and shut off all of the power. What? In the yeah. That sounds like uh, a home invasion more than like just somebody breaking into an empty Airbnb. That's crazy. Well, the crazy thing is that because it's an Airbnb, it's not like there's like laptops and jewelry and stuff that like, like you know, to you steal, can... yeah. Yeah. And so um so he tried breaking into the side door, that didn't work. Then he broke the like glass on the front door. Um and we thought that he didn't get in the house because the alarm went off and so I think that like probably spooked him. But Lo and behold, when we thought that nothing was stolen because the guests went in, they're like, no, no one's here. Everything's fine. Everything looks like intact. It doesn't even look like they got in the house. Um, but then our cleaners after the fact came and like all the Google homes were gone, like missing. And so there were things that were missing, but. Okay. So let's, let's talk about how this is like 
every Airbnb host's worst nightmare. This yeah. is what everyone thinks of when they're like, oh my gosh, what if someone destroys my property? Oh my gosh, what if this happens? I want to talk about how even though it sucks, it's not as bad as it seems like it's going to be. There yeah. are situations like 1% of the time where like people ruin like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of stuff, right? That that can happen. But it's so generally, rare. right? When a guest destroys something, someone breaks in, what do you think the total cost is going to be of like, like you're saying, the Google homes that were stolen, the broken window, $2,000? Not Maybe? even. Yeah. I thought it was going to be like a thousand. I thought it was going to be like a thousand dollars. But it was literally like way less than that. I mean, I was thinking like the worst case scenario, but it really isn't that bad. And if you think about it, if if for some reason, like I think the biggest fear that people have is like, oh, the guests are going to destroy things. It's way better if the guests destroy things because you have insurance for that. And every time and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Like guests accidentally broke a window in one of our houses and we were like, oh God, that's going to be so expensive. They literally paid for it. It was like, so it. And so what is that cabin rent for per night? Around? Um, it's around 500. Uh, so per two night. nights of guests, obviously you're going to have a cleaning fee, but you charge a cleaning fee. So two, three nights and you've made up for that one incident. That's been your one incident over the course of months. Right. So if, when you are planning to buy a short-term rental you've budgeted in for um like capital expenses and maintenance repairs and things like that you're gonna be totally fine it's not as big of a deal it's scary and it's yeah. dramatic so you have to learn how to like process the drama without getting massively stressed out and freaking out but it ends up not being that big of a deal but it's so true of drama and scariness um so for Christmas Eve, we went to um, one of the girls in the mastermind's house and um, I was up all day. I'd been cooking the day before we got home pretty late and I sit down in the bed and I feel this like gush of something come out of me. And most of you know, I'm pretty pregnant right now. I think I'm 18 weeks this week pregnant and I go to stand up and I can see like all this blood in the bed. and. Most of us, if you've ever been pregnant and watched movies, like any in general, we automatically think, oh my gosh, if there's blood, you're miscarrying. Like you can't be pregnant and, and be bleeding. Like that's, that's kind of how we see it. And so it's Christmas Eve. So like the doctor's office obviously isn't open. I call their emergency line because most like OB doctors have an emergency line and they have a student on call, probably because it's Christmas Eve. And she's like, yeah, if it continues, like maybe you go to the emergency room. I'm like, and should I like come to the office on like the next day? Like they were super not helpful, which is weird because my doc, um, I have a midwife and they're great. Yeah. But it was Christmas Eve, right? So it happens again. And this is like pads full of blood, y'all. I know this is like TMI, but to describe to you, it's like pads full. It's not like kind of bleeding. So I'm like, okay, I'm losing quite a bit of blood. I should probably go to the emergency room. So I go to the emergency room. There's no one in there. Like if you've ever been in the emergency room, it's usually packed and you're waiting for hours. But it's like midnight on Christmas Eve. And um, I go to the emergency room. I'm in there for like three or four hours. The hospital was super nice, which isn't normal for an emergency room either. Like they're usually busy and kind of bitches because of all the stuff they go through, right? Um, and... 
they bring in a ultrasound and the baby's fine. The heart rate's great. And they can't quite figure out why I'm bleeding though. And so I have a doctor's appointment a couple days later with this ultrasound specialist. And they're like, you have a low lying placenta. We're going to put you on bed rest and kind of find out I had some, and y'all, I am not a medical person, but I've got some sort of like hematoma. That's like five. It was five and something centimeters. Now, like three or four weeks later, it's like two. So I'm starting to not bleed anymore, but y'all, you can be bleeding and pregnant. And it's the weirdest, scariest thing because you're constantly trying to figure out, because think about it. Normally when you're bleeding from there, you're like, it's not like actual blood, like bleeding from your leg. It's like um, the menstrual cycle part of it, right? This would be as if like your leg were constantly bleeding. And so it's, it's pretty scary. Um, but the baby's totally fine. And I'm just having a bunch of ultrasounds. Oh my gosh. So like when you first started bleeding, what, what were the thoughts going through your head? Did you think that you were losing the baby? Of course. I mean, think about the way we think of it in our, I don't even know if it's culture. I think it's just in general, like we don't think of there's any other options of you're bleeding and you're pregnant. Like that's just automatically you think, oh, I'm having a miscarriage. Um, it's a weird emotion because I'm not an overly emotional person to begin with. And I had two miscarriages before I ever had my four kids. So I wasn't like, so I was a, a little bit emotional. I wasn't super upset. I was more like, okay, if it's going to happen, I'd rather it be now than like nine months pregnant and something yeah. like that happening. But I'm still pregnant and I'm still bleeding. I'm, I'm what? You're still bleeding? I'm still bleeding. Yes. And it's, we're recording on January 23rd. So almost a month later. What? Okay. Wait, that is crazy. For one, I've never heard of anything like that happening Me before. And I've, I've had like high risk pregnancies where I've like bled and had to be like admitted and put on like horrible medications, but I've never, ever, ever heard of somebody bleeding for a month while being pregnant. Me either. So and so I'm getting ultrasounds like every other week. The baby's moving around like crazy on track for growth. Everything's great. It's crazy. And so, um, I asked them like, cause most of you know, I got pregnant right after I had the other baby, my, my baby's six months old. And I'm like, is this related to me being 39? Is this related to having a baby so quick? And like, no, it's just something that happens sometimes. And it's just like, you're just like slowly bleeding. I'm like, well, that's weird. and doesn't sound like something that should be happening. But speaking of having the baby, so getting pregnant so quickly, I gained 80 pounds, y'all 80 pounds. Every time I get pregnant, I feel like we've talked about this before. I normally lose the baby weight, right? And then you have to get pregnant again and this, this cycle all starts over. Well, obviously I didn't have time to lose the baby weight. I'd only been like released from the doctor for like two weeks. And so I lost like 30 pounds of it, but not much. And so I decided to hire like a nutrition specialist for this one. Um, he's gotten me this like specific menu out. I've got to eat all these specific foods to try and keep me from gaining 80 pounds on top of the 50 pounds. Y'all, I don't want to weigh 250 pounds when this is freaking over. So now I'm on this like regimented diet pregnant in the last two nights. I'm like, I want cookies. And like, normally I don't even eat stuff like that. So it's so weird, but that's so crazy that you gained 80 pounds. And I feel like for some people that sounds like a lot, but I can totally relate because I also gained 80 pounds with both of my pregnancies. I was a whale. I was so huge. And I don't, and I feel like 
also because like you were thinner, you know, like to start out with, same with me. And so that's a lot of weight for someone that's not. And we're short and we have like small bone structures. Like my ring size, y'all, is a three and a half. Like my bones are tiny. So to put that kind of weight on our height with like petite bone structure. and. It is. And um, I don't think it's talked about enough because everyone's like, oh, you lose 20 pounds and you see all these celebrities with their super adorable baby bodies with this just little basketball and then it's gone. Like, I feel like we need to normalize like, yeah, not everyone gains 20 to 30 pounds. And I didn't get like a lot of people, too. If you gain too much weight, you get gestational diabetes and preeclampsia. And I didn't get any of that. I was super healthy. I just gained a ton of freaking weight. Yeah. I even did marathons with the first baby and still gained that much weight. I wear the New York City Marathon with Bella. Like, and I still gained that much weight. Yes. Oh my gosh. See, that's so crazy. I just ate fruit and I hate fruit when I'm not pregnant. Like, I just don't eat fruit. But when I was pregnant, all I wanted to do was eat fruit. I probably had gestational diabetes and, like, I don't know, maybe I like cheated on the test or something. But (laughs) I. I literally ate so healthy and I still, like you said, gained 80 pounds. It's well, not you like I these stories too with the celebrities who do gain a lot of weight. I don't know if you remember when Jessica Simpson was pregnant, she was on yep. some like talk show and she's like, I'm eating pop tarts with butter on top. You're like, what? <laughs> I'm not <laughs> eating pop tarts with butter on top. <laughs> like, Yeah. You and crazy. I had like very similar pregnancies where we did not overeat or eat crazy, but we still gained all that weight. I I don't know like why that is because my mom also gained 80 pounds, but then my little sister who, you know, we all have the same genes. She like had a freaking basketball and was, you know, so model skinny the whole freaking time. I'm like, what the heck? Like why, why do some people have basketballs? And then we are like gaining all this weight. Like, it's so crazy. crazy. Yeah. And, and so, <laughs> okay. Totally changing topics back to you buying the house in Tennessee. It's so crazy how you and I met on social media and we live in totally different places. have had totally different lives and you're under contract to buy a house somewhere. I own a bunch of properties. Um, yeah. I actually own a mobile home park in the town that you're going to be moving to. And shockingly, most of those mobile homes are rented through section eight there. Mm. Um, they're, so when you're look, you're talking about like not spending as much money so you could buy some other investment properties, different cities and different counties have different amounts of money that section eight's willing to pay, obviously, because the housing market's different in different areas. Yeah. But, uh, so Let's, let's back up a little bit. I bought an RV park like 13 years ago. And a few years later, I decided I wanted to diversify my income a little bit because RV parks are really active income. I wanted something that was more passive. And mobile home parks are kind of the last thing left that's truly like mailbox money. Um, because a lot of times the people own their own mobile homes. They're really just paying to like park their mobile home on the lot and have the land there. So it's, it's really mailbox money. But... When I went to closing, I went to closing with this old lady. She's like 85 years old and she was selling like all these properties that she had owned throughout her life. And she had her granddaughter at closing with her and stuff. It was really sweet. And she was telling me about how you could rent mobile homes on Section 8, which I did not know that Section 8 included mobile homes. And so I can rent lots, like just rent the lot out with someone else's home they own for like 300 bucks like nothing right I mean it it adds up to a lot once you um if you own a bunch of them because mobile home parks usually have multiple lots right 
but I can rent the homes for between $1,200 and $1,800 a month. So crazy difference. Yes, people who own mobile homes, a lot of mobile home parks, a lot of them don't want to own the homes because they don't want to do the maintenance and they don't want to deal with the tenants. But I already own Section 8 multifamily properties, so I have a team in place to do the maintenance. And the, the pro where I'm going with this is the property in the town that you live in um, brings in about $8,000 a month. It's like one of my, besides the RV park, like highest grossing um, properties. So it's that a good place for you to invest. That is so freaking cool. And I feel like not a lot of people know about this. And it's something that you say, like, it's not like sexy, right? Like having Airbnbs and all these like cool. Like, yeah, the beautiful cabin that you're talking about, like on this really cool property where you get to have chickens in a garden. It is not that. It's not that, but my cabin is not making eight grand a month. I'd much rather have your mobile home park making eight grand a month, you know? So I think that that's so interesting. And also it's so smart the way that you do it, because I feel like a lot of people don't know and are educated about Section 8 and, and how profitable it really is. And I know that it can be kind of controversial, but at the same time, I feel like we're helping like people that need housing. You know, these are people it's, that- It's interesting too, because- a couple things to go along with that. Section 8 has a huge demand. The, I, I have Section 8 properties in two counties, and the county that you're in, um, there is a two-year wait list. So the people who have been on the wait list to get housing, first of all, your properties are not vacant for very long because there's always going to be someone else who needs that housing. Um, but also, because people are like, oh, don't they tear up your properties? Not really. They've been on this wait list for so long They've been living in churches, on people's couches. Some of them were homeless before. They are so grateful to get housing that, um, not that people haven't torn it up, but I own 300 units. There's going to be things that get torn up, right? But the majority of people do not tear things up. No different than your short-term rental just had someone break in it. It, it doesn't have to do with like Section 8 versus short-term rental. Um, and so that kind of stigma of aren't they going to tear stuff up hasn't really happened. Um but this, the stigma behind like, oh, they should be working. Like, why are you helping them? It's interesting to see that I definitely have some tenants that y'all should have jobs. What are you doing? <laughs> y'all should have jobs. <laughs> yeah. um, I kind of had to learn like screening processes to make sure I'm getting the right type of tenants. And most of them are like, for example, one of the tenants I've had the longest is this super nice lady who, um, you know how... Walmarts, I don't know if you know this because you're from California, but Walmarts in smaller towns have like a haircutting place, almost like a great clips, like quality yeah. place inside the Walmarts. She does yeah. hair there and she doesn't make enough money to support her and her three kids. Um, the baby daddy's in prison. And so she pays a portion of her rent and Section 8 pays the rest. She's working really hard to try and make ends meet. She just needs some extra help. Those are the type of tenants that I like helping, that I love having a nice place for them to stay. Because y'all also, we get all these like slumlord comments. You're like, whatever. We put like $20,000 into remodel each of these trailers and they're super nice by the time. They're like way nicer than you can imagine. We're done remodeling them before these people move in. So it's been interesting owning the, that type of asset class. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for you doing that because I feel like when people look at it and they're like, oh, that's controversial, the whole slumlord thing, that's not you. That's not what you do. And you are providing housing for people in need that really need it and giving them a nice place to live. And so I think it's an amazing 
um, asset to be able to invest in. And you've inspired me to want to like look into that and do that more. And I just, I think that's really awesome that you do that. And it's really interesting, you know? And it's helpful. It makes good money. Um, the market that you're in has a really good demand for it. It wouldn't be a bad place for you to go for your next I'm start looking for some <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm excited for that. That's going to be really fun. Um, oh my gosh. Have you heard about all of these like huge celebrities and like super wealthy people like Elon Musk talking about their bunkers and how they're like building these bunkers? I feel like something like doomsday bunkers. Yes. Like prepper bunkers. Okay. I forget what his name was. He's so funny. Someone I follow, um, on Instagram and he was like, Elon Musk, I see you with your bunker and you think that you got a cool bunker, but wait till you see mine because mine is making water and I got a garage. And he was like going off about like how his bunker is better than Elon Musk bunker. And then like, I started seeing all these other people talking about like their bunkers. And I'm like, what in the world is happening? that we don't know about because I was telling my husband, I'm like, babe, we got to get a bunker. I don't know, but <laughs> like, if they're ordering stuff, it's going to go out of stock. Like go get those water purifiers and whatever the machine is that makes water out of air. You know, um, have you heard about this? I have not heard about this, but I do have friends who are not like doomsday kind of thing, but they're more like, even for where I live, like you have to be prepared for a hurricane. Meaning yeah. like if the hurricanes come, the power might go out for an unknown amount of time. We need water. Um, you need cash because you might not be able to use a credit card. Like you need food that you can cook and not need power. Like we need extra baby formula. Like depending on where you live in the country, you're a prepper on some level, right? But this is taking it to a whole new level. There's something going on that we don't know about. I really, I really think that there is or something like in the future that's going to happen because I feel like even if you're super wealthy, like, yeah, I would have a bunker because it just gives you like peace of mind. Um, and I've always had like that. Do you have a bunker? I don't have no bunker, but I know a lot of people <laughs> also, I don't think you're supposed to tell someone if you have a bunker because you don't want to come raid your stuff. But what a lot of people don't know about me is I used to be super into this. And it's funny that you bring this up today because um, we were putting some meetups for the Women's Mastermind on meetup.com. They like if you've ever gone to like an event in your area with a certain topic. And I yeah. hadn't looked at my account in like 15 years for meetup, it's like different groups you can go to. And all the groups I belong to were like, preppers of Tennessee, like all this stuff, because I used to be into like having, um, like the freeze dried food. And, um, I mean, I'm from Mississippi also, like I learned to shoot a gun when I was like five years old. Um, so I have my carry permit. Five? I was probably you learned five. To shoot a, you learned yeah. to shoot a gun when you were five years old. Y'all my real dad was like my stepdad adopted me when I turned 18. My real dad was an interesting character and he lived with his grandmother. So my great grandmother kind of half raised me because when I was meant to be with my dad, I was actually with her. Um, she was born in 1919. And so she, because they were interesting characters, she slept with a gun under her pillow and I slept in the bed with her as a little kid. And oh my so God. They were determined that I needed to know how to shoot the gun. So I can remember them setting, they lived on like three acres. I can remember them setting up a box like out a certain ways. And she's like showing me how to use the handgun. 
And my real dad's in the background yelling, shoot to kill. If you don't kill them, they're coming back to get you. Like <laughs> totally traumatizing for a five-year-old. Um, so we are no strangers to guns, I guess is what I should say. So I have oh my, my carry God. permit and yeah. Wait, you have a permit to carry a gun? I do. You don't actually need it in Tennessee anymore. Um, but I do have a permit. Yes. That is wild. Wow, Heather, we are learning things about you. I had no idea. (laughs) Different life. life. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you something, Heather, you're so funny. You're like, my life is boring. And then you're like, oh yeah, when I was five years old, I slept with the, I slept in my grandma's bed and we had a gun under our pillow that we would sleep with at night. And I learned to shoot guns when I was five, like no big deal. Like what? You are just crazy. Okay. It's funny you say that because it has to do with where you're from, whether or not this sounds crazy. Because where my husband's from, like, people don't have guns, right? And, um, like, he's from Singapore, like a big city. He grew up in Singapore and Hong Kong, which if you're not familiar with Asia, this is very similar to, like, New York City, right? And so we were were taking a cooking class, and he's like, you know, I don't think that many people know how to clean fish. Why do they keep referring to this, like, people clean fish? I'm like, if you went to the grocery store in Mississippi and you asked every man that walked by, can you clean a fish and skin a deer? 99% of them are going to tell you yes. It's like a life (laughs) skill that you learn when you live in the South. So if somebody is like a listener and they're from some of these areas of the country that we're talking about, they're not going to think this is crazy or weird or interesting at all. But not everyone's like that. From me coming from LA, this is a huge culture shock. (laughs) You're not cleaning any fish and like I've never for one I've never I have no idea how to do that I would literally die if it like came to me having to like fend for myself and the world was ending I would be like the first to die no joke I would be <laughs> I would be finding all of the Mississippi folk like you and becoming <laughs> best friends <laughs> yeah um, we even so and they were super poor too when I was at my grandmother's house and so um like I said, she was always old and our neighbors all had these huge gardens. And so she would trade work for food. So, and she didn't drive. We had to walk everywhere. So we would walk over to our neighbor's house and we would work in their garden for the day, like, um, picking corn and like purple hull peas and like all these different vegetables. And we would get to keep half of it. Like that was like our our payment. They got to keep half. We got to keep half. So then we would go home and silk and shuck corn and shell the peas and put all that up. And so I think doing that stuff as a kid, like creates this like work ethic that you got to work for stuff. Cause we had to work for all the food we were eating even. That is so interesting. And I think it's so funny too, because now like you grew up doing that and I didn't, but now I have this like over like whelming sense to want to like grow like a my human own nature food. desire for you. Yeah. It's weird. Right. Like that hunter gatherer, like, um, like, I don't know, cave woman instinct of like me really wanting to learn how to like slow down. And so, and like, I just did not come from that. Right. Like being in LA, like truly LA, like Hollywood, like that is like my upbringing. And so it was just so opposite from yours, but I just, yeah, I'm like, I want to walk to my neighbor's house and like pick their food and have it like fresh, you know, like, I, don't I know. can't wait to talk to you about this again in like six months when you've lived <laughs> in Tennessee for a little while and you're like, Heather, I just want a Starbucks. 
<laughs> well, that's so funny. My realtor, I think, was like, well, Travis was totally roasting me because when we when we came out here again, like culture shock, I was like, oh, so like what's the best? Cause you know me, I'm like, I order a lot of food because I don't like cooking. I have to be You're like not, in the mood. not getting Uber Eats. No, she was like, Oh yeah, we don't have delivery. And I was like, Oh, um, or she was like, yeah, no, they don't have that. And I was like, oh, well, like what restaurants deliver, you know? And she was like, no, they don't have that. No. And I was like, maybe she's misunderstanding me. Like I need <laughs> to know what restaurants deliver because I'm going to starve if I don't find them. And so she was like, yeah, no, like literally nothing delivers out here. And I was like, I can't move to the city. I'm like, I need to <laughs> I need to move somewhere where they have Uber Eats or DoorDash. You know, like I felt so LA. And then like every then Travis was like totally roasting me. He's like, oh my God, can someone deliver a microwave? My wife's gonna starve. Um because <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's more of just your lifestyle change, right? So you get used to like also it's annoying how long it takes to like drive into town, right? Like yeah. it's not like you immediately are at the grocery store or wherever. So you just start learning to prepare ahead. Like you're not going to run out each day for some extra groceries or your coffee. Like you're going to have that stuff stocked at home. Um, it's just, well, I'm going to have to learn to how to cook because I I'm this is cooking. Travis is an amazing cook, but I also feel like this is going to force me. Heather, I just bought a house in the forest in the middle of nowhere that is not close. There, no one's delivering there, so no I'm going to be forced. There. I'm going to be forced to live off the land. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're being a little bit dramatic. The grocery store is still probably only like thirty minutes away, if that far. That's far, and also I don't like to drive. I'm scared. There was like ice on the road. I'm like, I'm. Stuck here. There is no way I'm driving down that and sliding into a ditch. I am going to be having to garden and can food. It's going to force me to have to learn how to. Well, I figure. Live out, off the I feel land. like we have talked about everything <laughs> imaginable today, as usual, which is probably what we should just went ahead and called our podcast because that seems what happens on every episode. But I want you to remember that authenticity is your superpower. So stay unapologetically yourself, and let's continue embracing our uniqueness together. Make sure you hit that follow button so you don't miss next week's episode. See y'all soon. Bye. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs>